0: Go ahead this morning, take your Bibles out, turn them on, however you like to do that. And uh, let's, uh, let's flip to the book of Genesis. We're, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Apocalypse, Seeing the World Through, through Heaven's Eyes. We've, we've been asking God as a church over the past several weeks, and we'll continue asking uh, for the next several weeks for God to, uh, to give us a, a clear idea of how He sees the world, right? We live in some pretty interesting times right now. Uh, pandemic, social unrest—the list just goes on and on, right? Uh, but but God sees the world very differently than we do. We are fallen, sinful creatures, and uh, but God God doesn't have those limitations. And so we're we're asking God through the gospel and through Jesus to show us how how do we understand all that's going on in our world. And so we've been we've been looking at the the first part of the Bible, the beginning, the book of Genesis, and we're going to soon. Uh, we're going to skip over the middle and head to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So this morning, we're at the end of our time in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis chapter 4, uh, it's the story of, of Cain and Abel. Maybe, maybe you've read it before. If, you're, uh, if you've grown up in church, you've probably read it many times. And, and so I want to I wanna look at this this morning with, with fresh eyes, fresh eyes. And one of, the, one of the most frustrating parts about stories, any story for that matter, is that stories, they never tell us everything that we want to know, do they? They always leave out little details, little things that we would like to know. I, I, I thought of some examples this week. Uh, maybe you've thought of this before. Maybe this is just in my weird brain. But why in the world does Winnie the Pooh never wear pants? Anybody ever thought of that before? Why does he not have pants? Or how can Pocahontas speak English when she has never met anybody outside of her tribe before? How is she able to talk to John Smith? Like, how does, that, how does that work? Or here's the third one. Why is it, how come no one in the train station ever notices Harry Potter and those random kids just disappearing into brick walls, right? Nobody ever pays attention to that, right? These are questions that I have about stories. I, I'd like to know the answer to, right? Now, we might all like to know those, those answers. I'm sure you have some questions of your own. But, but do we really need to know those details to understand the story? Those stories that I mentioned to you? No, not, not at all. Stories are not meant, in fact, to tell you everything that you want to know, right? And As a matter of fact, the storyteller has the prerogative to leave out anything he or she wants to for the very purpose of communicating to you what you need to know, to, to tell you the story. And so this is very important to our story today here in Genesis chapter 4 because it's one of these biblical texts where uh, it, it often raises questions that we just don't have answers to. That uh, the writer of Genesis, Moses, he, he didn't seem to think that we needed them. We, we don't need the answer to these to those questions to understand the story. Could, could Cain and Abel, for example, uh, where did they live, right? Where did they live outside the garden? Could they walk up the hill from their house and see the... Uh, the 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 cherubim with the flaming swords guarding the garden. I'd like to know that. That'd be pretty cool to know. But but Moses doesn't Moses doesn't tell us that. Where does where does Cain's wife come from? If you've read the story of Cain and Abel before, right? Like is that is that his sister? Like what is going on there? Right? It gets really weird. Some of these questions. Right? The writer of Genesis, Moses, he doesn't tell us that. And so the way that we have to approach this text this morning is this: we we have to approach it with a degree of humility. Humility that's willing to lay aside the things that we might want to know for the truth that God says that we need to know, okay? That's how I want to approach this text. Because we've been asking, as I said, for God to give us a glimpse of the world, to, to pull back the curtain, show us the world through heaven's eyes. And I believe that he's done that here in Genesis 4. Our world might foolishly believe that uh, society, that, that humans in general, that we're getting better, right? Right? that we can somehow educate and invent ourselves out of all of our problems, but nothing could be further from the truth according to Genesis chapter 4. Ever since Genesis 3, if you were here with us last week, Pastor Daniel preached Genesis 3. Ever since Genesis 3, humans, we're, we're not getting better. We're actually getting worse. We're getting worse. Now, This brings us to the the main idea this morning. We we like to give you that every week. Kind of this uh, sermon in a sentence. A thesis statement, right? Here it is this morning from Genesis 4. Sin is a predator that seeks our destruction. Sin is a predator that seeks our destruction, so we must repent and rule over it by looking to Jesus who has freed us from Cain's curse. Sin is a predator that seeks our destruction, so we must repent and rule over it by looking to Jesus who has freed us from Cain's curse by shedding his righteous blood. Now, to help us see this this morning, I've I've sort of divided Genesis 4 into four sections. The first, we're going to see that sin is a predator, but also that it's a master of disguise. Second, we're going to see that God is just and merciful in regards to sin. Third, we're going to see that, that even though God is just and merciful, sin still has far-reaching consequences. And then fourth, we're going to see that sin requires a Savior. That's where we're going this morning. So so first, sin is a predator, and then also we're going to talk about it being a master of disguise. Let's, let's read. Read along with me. It's going to be on the screen or on your, your Bible or device. Read along with me, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, after being expelled from the garden because of sin, Adam and Eve, life is is broken, but life is not over. They start a family. They have two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain became a gardener, or we might think of a a farmer. Abel, a shepherd, specifically of sheep. Abel was a shepherd of sheep. All right? And despite the the presence of sin, right? Man has fallen. Cain and Abel are worshiping God. That's what our story just told us. Sin has broken God's creation, but not destroyed it. So Cain and Abel, in this story, they bring a sacrifice to God. Now, we're not told the specifics of the sacrifice, only the outcome. God accepts Cain's, or excuse me, Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, in the original language, Moses says that Cain, in response to what, what, God's, what, what happens, that Cain is hot. He's literally, he's hot. I imagine a guy, just his face gets red, his ears get red. He is overcome with rage, right? God doesn't respond. Notice that. God doesn't respond to him the way that I'm often guilty of responding to my boys. Right? A finger wagging, furrowed brow lecture. Right? Why are you angry? That's not how God responds. Don't read it that way. No, God responds to Cain with grace. With grace. Cain, my my boy, why? Why are you so angry? Now, now, certainly, this is a rhetorical question, right? God knows all things. He's not looking for information here. He knows why Cain is angry. That's why I'm suggesting to you that this is, this is an act of grace. Cain doesn't need, or God doesn't need information from Cain, right? He knows, God knows the fury that's boiling in Cain's heart over his sacrifice not being accepted. Is it not true, my boy, God says, that, that if you do well, do well, do what is Right? that you will be accepted. Is that not true, Cain? God is offering Cain the chance at repentance. But notice what happens next. But my boy, if you do not do well, do what is right. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin is described here as a wild beast. Think a tiger or a lion. Think about a, a lion methodically stalking its prey. Or think about a snake coiled up in the corner, ready to strike. Sin is a predator, and it's coming for Cain. It's coming for Cain, and what we're going to see this morning is that it's coming for all of us. Cain, look, look with me at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Friends, sin wants nothing more this morning than your destruction, than than our destruction. But here's the deal we live with it day in and day out. The world is fallen. The world has fallen, and Christ has not returned to rid the world of sin. We live with it day in and day out, and the temptation is, is that we become desensitized to it, right? It's just a little anger, Cain might have said in response, if someone were to call him on it, right? It's just a little anger. No big deal. Listen to what James chapter 1, verses 14-15 through 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown, gives when sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. In Genesis 4, friends, anger grew up into murder. And bone chilling deceit. Listen to l- listen to what Cain says in response to God. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know God. It's not my job to keep up with him. Isn't that your job? Sin grew up into murder. What sins this morning might you be hiding in your heart? You know, you know the, the little ones, right? The ones that we all just kind of grow complacent with. They're just part of our lives. The ones that you always explain away, right? You always have an excuse for these particular sins, right? The ones that you're, you're maybe in denial about. I wouldn't have lost my temper with the kids if they had just followed directions. I'm guilty of that one, right? Honey, it's, it's not lusting if I only act on it with you. I, I know the question on the test asked if I completed all the reading, but I really need a good grade, and it's really easy just to lie. Okay. Would you ever consider this morning, let me ask you this question, would you ever consider this morning allowing a tiger to sleep at the foot of your bed? Would you leave the rattlesnake in the passenger seat of your car coiled up? That's a dumb question, isn't it? Of course not. Why in the world would you ever grow complacent in your sin? Right? Sin is a predator, but sin is also a master of disguise, a master of disguise. Notice that we are not told why God preferred Cain's sacrifice. Now, I think that's on purpose. I think that's intentional in the story. And I want to suggest to you that it that this, the answer to this question, why we're not told um, why God accepted Cain's or Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. It's not one of these unanswered questions that we see in Genesis 4, like, where did Cain and Abel live? The answer's subtle, but it's there. There's a difference between Abel and Cain's offering. In verse 3, Abel brings, according to the text, he brings the finest rack of lamb, if you will, to God. He brings his best, the fat portions. But Cain, Cain just brings some vegetables from his garden, right? He just brings some vegetables From his garden. Now, now, thankfully, the New Testament helps us with this. It it gives us a little more clarity on what's going on. Um, Look with me. It's going to be on the screen. You can turn in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. By faith, Abel's faith set apart his sacrifice from Cain's. That's the difference. Faith is the difference. Abel brought his very best in faith that God was worthy of such a gift. That he was worthy of it, and in fact that God would be faithful to give him more. But Cain, Cain on the other hand, Cain took inventory of his crops and he brought just enough to get by. He followed the rule to the letter of the law. Tim Tim Keller really helped me see this text in a whole new light this week. Tim Keller says that Cain is like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Cain's an older brother. He does everything right, right? We're, We're tempted to look at Cain because he's a murderer. He is a murderer. We're tempted to look at Cain with all this despise, right? But Cain does everything right. But he does everything right for all the wrong reasons, Abel's offering was one of faith. Cain's was an attempt to earn God's favor. Abel wanted God. Cain wanted God to owe him. You see the difference? It's subtle. Matters of the heart are always subtle. Sin is a master of You all, You all look really good this morning. I just want to tell you that. You guys look great. You look great. You look like polite, moral Even religious people. Even religious people. But it is possible, and I'm arguing even probable, that some of us in this room, we are completely consumed with ourselves. We put on a good show in front of everybody, but we are completely consumed with ourselves. We go to church. We pray. We tithe. We always drive the speed limit. We're canes. We do everything right. But when God calls our bluff when we don't get what we want, when we don't get our way, when He refuses to give us what we think we're owed by Him, watch out, friends. Good, polite, moral, even religious people like Cain, they turn out to be murderers. My friends, we must not grow complacent in our sin for it hides in even the good that we do. Sin is a predator and a master of disguise. Second this morning, we see that God, in response to sin, God is just and merciful. Verses 11-16, to God is just and merciful. Read along with me. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth, this is God speaking to Cain, to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Abel's blood in this story, Abel's blood literally cries out from the ground for justice. And God would not ignore it. He will never ignore justice. Because of Cain's father and mother, the ground was cursed, right? We learned that last week. Right? But Cain was cursed from the ground no matter how hard he worked no matter how hard he tilled the soil nothing would grow his parents were expelled from the garden but Cain was exiled out of Eden completely to the east away from God's presence to a place called nod nod literally means in the original language it means wandering, a place of wondering God is just he will not ignore sin but notice, notice Cain's response to God's justice. Unlike his father and mother, Adam and Eve, we saw this last week, unlike Adam and Eve, who remain silent before God when they're receiving their just reward, Cain whines. He's a crybaby. He whines and he complains, God, this is too much. Ironically, now the murderer, he fears being murdered. But notice that it's not by God. He's not afraid of God. He's afraid of what other men might do to him. Cain is blinded by his sin. Yet in mercy, notice that God's heart is for Cain. God's heart is for Cain to protect him. To protect him. To protect the sinner, even one guilty of murdering an image bearer. If you read through the Bible, there is perhaps there's there are few sins greater than taking the life of an image bearer. It's a big deal, and God's heart is to protect this sinner. We we might expect as we're reading through this story for God to just kill Cain on the spot, and God would be just in doing so. Cain is a murderer. God's going to establish a covenant in Genesis chapter 9 where he says, listen, for life, you owe me life. If you shed blood, I will take yours. But despite God's or Cain's sin, God's heart is for him. That's why God, go, God goes to him. Remember back in our, our story a few minutes ago? That's why God went to him. Calling him to, to trust him. My boy, sin is coming for you. Why are you angry? God was calling Cain to trust him, to trust him that that if Cain did what was right, that God would bless him, that God would exalt him just as he exalted Abel. God is asking Cain to trust him to do what God knows Cain can't do on his own, what Cain cannot do on his own. God's asking Cain for faith. Ultimately this morning, friends, Cain is no different than Abel, right? Or Adam or Eve. They were all sinners. That's the temptation when we read this story that we elevate Abel to this level that he's not intended to be leveled at, right? All of us are sinners. Cain, Abel, Adam, and Eve. Every human is a sinner. The fall ensured that. But it's Cain who believed the lie that God's blessing for Abel automatically meant God's curses for him. That's a lie. And Cain believed it. He swallowed the lie. And that's not God's heart. God's heart is for the sinner. Abel's faith is what set apart his sacrifice. God didn't choose him just to exclude Cain. God chose one. God chose Abel, and we're going to see more in a minute. He chose one for the the blessing of Cain, right? It's, It's through one family, through Abraham's family in the biblical story, that God wants to bless who? All the families of the earth, right? It's through Jacob that God wants to bless Esau. It's, it's through Isaac that God wants to bless Ishmael, right? What we have here this morning in this text is the, the bedrock for a biblical understanding of election, right? We don't like that word, that's fine, but we have the the biblical foundation for for election. God isn't, God isn't choosing one just to the exclusion of the other. He's choosing one for the sake of all the others this morning, right? He's, he's chosen one son. His only begotten son so that we might all be sons and daughters of God. Friends, God's heart is for the sinner. In a couple of months as a church, we're going to spend 24 hours in prayer. 24 hours in prayer for the lost and 30 days in the harvest, 30 days sharing the gospel with our friends and our neighbors. And I want you to I want to encourage you to be a part of that. For this very reason that God's heart is for the sinner. God is just, he will not ignore sin. We're going to talk about in a few minutes, how he's dealt with sin ultimately in Christ. God doesn't ignore sin, but he is merciful for the sinner. And we're going to have the chance as a church for 30 days to tell everybody that we know about the justice and the mercy of God towards sinners. I invite you to join us in that. You've got a pamphlet there in your uh, your seat. It'll tell you all about it. This brings us to the next part of our story, that sin has far-reaching consequences, This is verses 17 through 24. Cain is is banished from God's presence, but in verses 17 through 24, we see that sin goes with him, right? Sin goes with him, and his sin has far reaching consequences. Read along with me. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of that of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahuhel, and Mehulahel fathered Methusel, and Methusel fathered Lamech. I did it. I set them all. Yes. And Lamech took two wives. Remember that. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zelah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre in the pipe. Zelah bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. Cain marries. He has a family. And even though he was cursed as a wanderer, Cain goes on to build a city. All right. The way you might think of that is, is that if Cain's not going to listen to God um, regarding worship, he's probably not going to listen to God regarding punishment either. Right? Cain was, was cursed to wonder, but he goes on to, to build a city. He has grandchildren and culminating with his great, great, great grandson, Lamech. Lamech. That name, it just sounds wicked as I'm reading through the story. Lamech. But despite Cain's sin, his grandchildren through Lamech. They go on to, to do some pretty incredible things. They, they make the world better. They're, they're fulfilling their role as God's image bearers, right? They create culture. Uh, Jabal introduces the world to raising livestock. This is where raising livestock comes from. It's in the Bible, right? Jubal brings music to the world, specifically the lyre or the harp and the pipe, the flute. It starts with him. And Tubal Cain, he develops metallurgy, right? But lest we think, everything's okay right maybe this whole sin thing has just been it's been swept under the rug we're going to move on with life notice what I told you to notice before Lamech took two wives here the stain of sin we can't escape it guys it begins to bleed through polygamy was not God's intention for creation we saw that a few weeks ago and think with me for a moment all the examples of polygamy in the bible do they ever end well it never ends well right it never ends well. Think about Abraham and Jacob and Solomon, right? This is, this is the scourge of sin moving from generation to generation. But read with me verse 23 because it's about to get a lot worse. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zelah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Friends, this is not a love poem. This is not a love poem, but a poem celebrating violence and vengeance. Look how far we've come, right? Adam and Eve were living in this, in this garden. They had everything they needed. God walked and talked with him. And now, just a few generations post-sin, Lamech is singing this poem to his wives, celebrating violence and vengeance. For scuffing me up, Lamech sings, I killed a man, right? For hitting me, I murdered a young man. What you need to know about young man there is it can also mean a child. For hitting me, I murdered a young man. Lamech has perverted God's act of merciful protection for his grandfather into an assertion of his own thirst for revenge. That's what that poem's about. Lamech's revenge is 77 fold. That number symbolizes infinity, infinite vengeance. Endless violence is what Lamech sings of. The sin of Cain is in Lamech, in his children, and in his grandchildren. And all these years later, right right here, right now, sin is still here and it's growing in each of us. We are not in Christ. Our world would like to believe that, that things are getting better. We'd like to think that, that humans are evolving, Right? that uh, that we can we can teach and invent our ways out of all of our problems all these little problems that we don't like to talk about in polite company oppression violence greed corruption and even death we'll just learn and invent our way out of them but but our problems that they, they go with us they go with us through the generations wherever we go they spread I don't know if you, if you follow Elon Musk on, on social media or anything like that, but, but he's, this, he's this billionaire businessman whose, whose companies have managed to, I think to his credit, return the U.S. to manned space flight after NASA was effectively just kind of shut down, right? And so if you, uh, his company SpaceX uh, just sent two men to the International Space Station aboard one of his rockets. And so they have plans even to go to Mars at some point. Uh, their timeline says by the end of this decade, but I'm not sure that I buy it, right? But, but here's the deal, right? If, in fact, that humans land on Mars by the end of the decade, right? Do you know the one thing they won't be able to leave behind here on earth? Sin. It goes with us. No matter how smart we grow or how far away we go from this place, we can't escape it. It's in all of us and it's spreading And so the question becomes, as we read through Genesis 4, is what are we to do about it? What's there to be done? And that takes us to the next part of the story, that human sin requires a Savior. Read with me verses 25 to 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Once again, God blesses Adam and Eve even despite their sin. God blesses Adam and Eve with more children. Seth will be what Abel could not be because Cain, excuse me, murdered him. You see, God still intends to keep the promise um, of the snake crusher. We saw this last week in Genesis 3 where God promised Eve that one of her descendants would come and would ultimately crush the head of the serpent. The head of Satan who who convinced us as humans of the lie of sin. Right? God intends to keep this promise. This promised one would one day rescue humanity from sin. And God is going to bring this promised one through Seth. Genesis 4 has taught has taught us that because of sin, humans are not getting better, we're getting worse. Our sin is spiraling out of control and we need someone to rescue us. We need a Savior. According to verse 26, from Seth would come Enosh. And if you follow the story of the Bible along, you'll see from Enosh comes Noah. And then from Noah comes Abraham. And then we all know who comes from Abraham. Jesus. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. I want to turn your attention back there. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And that His sprinkled blood, listen to this, His sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. A better word than the blood of Abel. What in the world could that mean? If Abel's blood cried out to the ground for justice... Jesus spilled blood from the cross, cries out from the ground forgiveness. Like Abel, Jesus brought an acceptable sacrifice to God. Jesus didn't just do right things. He didn't even just do all the right things. Jesus loved God with all of his heart. And just as Cain hated and murdered Abel, so we and all of sinful humanity ultimately hated and murdered Jesus. But unlike Abel, unlike Abel, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the sinless Son of God, He died without sin as a payment for all of our sins, for the sins of all of God's people. The justice of God for the murder of Abel and for every sin of God's people is satisfied in Jesus. It's met in Jesus. Justice is done in Christ. Through Jesus, God now covers us with mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It's interesting. Lamech's revenge was 77 times. 77-fold, if you will. It's interesting what Jesus tells Peter in the Gospel of Matthew about forgiveness. You Remember the passage? He tells Peter that God's forgiveness is what? It's 70 times 7. In Jesus' limitless sin meets unlimited forgiveness so what about our question what must what must be done how must we respond to genesis 4 in light of what we know about jesus the answer is simple repent repent repentance is what god desired for cain and it's what he desires for each of us my son why are you angry Sin is a wild beast seeking to destroy you. You must rule over it. And now, because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the spirit that lives within us, if we are in Christ, we can, we can rule over our sin. In repentance, we declare God to be better than whatever sin offers. We we take our eyes off of ourselves. Cain's fault, right? We take our eyes off of ourselves and place them upon the one who is truly worthy of our worship. Repentance is is our only hope of rescue this morning. Repentance is our only hope of rescue. So so what does repentance look like? I put some stuff up on the screen that I think will help you. First, repentance looks like being honest with God and each other about our sins. we got to be honest with God and if you're in Christ this morning, honest with one another about our sins. And that includes the often hidden motivations of our heart, right? It's not good enough, friends, to just talk about the things that we do that are really out there in public, right? Because sin is a wild beast and it's coming for us. It hides in even the good that we do. We must stop making excuses. Those little sins that we just, we just excuse away when someone calls us on them, we, we explain away. We have to stop that. We have to stop trying to deny, deny that these things that we don't like about ourselves are not that that they're not true. But then, second, repentance looks like walking away from our sinful practices. It's it's about having remorse for more than just getting caught. That's what Cain was upset about. He got caught and he got punished. Repentance looks like more than just being upset that we got caught, but actually regretting the offense that we have committed toward a holy God, and a holy God, mind you, that loves you, whose heart is for you. But then third, repentance looks like trusting Jesus, ultimately. It's more than just turning away from sin, right? I can stop doing things, I can stop doing sinful things all day long. It's it's more than that. It's more than just turning away from sin or ruling over it. It's it's turning towards something better. Towards someone better. Toward Jesus. If you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins today, the story of Genesis chapter 4 and really the story of the whole Bible is calling you to repentance. To trust Jesus to save you. God's heart is for the sinner. He's for you today. Repent and believe. Now this morning, I want to give you some space. I want to give all of us some space for repentance. Right? Mike and the band, they're gonna they're gonna come back up here in just a few moments and they're gonna they're gonna play softly. And and right there in your seat, I wanna invite you to ask God to show you your sin. So that, so that you might repent of it. This may be the very first time that you have ever been honest with God about your sin. I want to invite you to do that. Be honest with God about your sin and ask Him to help you trust Jesus. His heart is for you this morning. He will help you. Be, be honest. My, my friends, we, we cannot play around with our sin. We cannot allow tigers to sleep at the feet of our beds rattlesnakes to ride around in our cars with us, right? Sin is a predator, it's a master of disguise, and it's coming for us. And what I want to invite you to do, what I want to call you to this morning, is to run quickly to Christ, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. right? Repent of your sins and rule over them in Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment? And then I want to give you some space to sit there quietly, and uh, reflect and repent. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that, that you are for us, that even though you are just towards sin, that you, you are a God that abounds in steadfast love and mercy. That your heart is to see the nations come to you. To see men and women who are sinners just like Adam and Eve and just like every human that has been born and will be born to come to repentance and faith. Father, I pray that by Your Spirit that You would open our hearts and our minds to our sin. Sin is dangerous and it is tricky. Our hearts are deceitful, Lord. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would open our eyes to see it. That we would never be violent toward um, another image bearer, but that we would be violent toward our sin. That we would be ruthless towards it. Unwilling to accept even the slightest little stain remain. And ultimately, I pray that you would help us to look to Jesus for this. We cannot do it on our own. We need your help.